I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses uh, 16 through 26 today. Um, this is a passage that, well, it's, it's, it's dense. There's a lot to look at. Um, we could spend uh, several weeks looking at the works of the flesh that Paul lists here, and then we could go on to spend several weeks looking at the fruit of the Spirit that Paul uh, speaks about here. But we have, by and large, been, uh, been flying at about 38,000 feet uh, over Galatians, try, trying to just see the, the big message of, of this great and marvelous letter. And uh, today I want us to maintain that altitude and, and see uh, this, this passage as a whole. And, uh, and then I couldn't pass it up. Uh, we're going to spend a few weeks here. Uh, Lord willing, we'll, we'll, we'll drop down a little bit next uh, Lord's Day and we'll take a closer look at the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And then uh, we'll come down even lower and for a few weeks uh, look at the fruit of the Spirit together. Uh, so uh, again, Lord willing, that's, that's our plan here for the next month or so. But before I read uh, these verses, let's go ahead uh, and pray again, asking for the Lord's blessing. Uh, Lord, with your word uh, before us, we give you thanks for it. And we ask that we would be led now by your spirit to hear, uh, to read, to understand, to believe, and to apply and be transformed by the truth of your word. We ask that you would comfort and encourage and instruct and convict in all the places that we need it. Show us Christ, draw us to Christ, and make us like him, we ask all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16, let's hear God's word. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. A few years ago, uh, Kelsey bought me some bookends uh, for my, my study. Um, 
she knows I have a lot of books, and uh, they're falling all over the place. She knows I like owls, so she got me bookends with owls on a perch. So between them, a bunch of books. Well, this passage, uh, it has bookends. Uh, everything that Paul says in the verses we just read together are, are bookended by these two similar phrases. In verse, uh, verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit. And then down in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step uh, with the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Two similar phrases, actually two different verbs though. And the second verb um, in the latter verse is, uh, it's a military word. It's, it's the word for, for soldiers uh, keeping formation. It's the word for soldiers marching in step with the directions of their commanding officer. And so you see the picture that Paul is painting for you here. The Christian life is, is one in which we, we are called to, to keep in formation with and march in step with the directions of God the Holy Spirit. And of course, learning to, to walk in formation and then keeping in formation, it, it, takes, it takes learning, it takes work, doesn't it? And that is the picture that Paul is, is describing here in these verses. And, you know, these verses then are about, at least, at least in part, uh, the role of the Holy Spirit in, in our sanctification, in our, in our growth in grace, in our, in our conformity to the likeness of, of Christ. And Paul in Galatians has had a great deal to say to us about, about God the Father, he has emphasized the, the wonderful, glorious doctrine of adoption, reminding us that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are the adopted children of God. We are brought into the family of God, and we have the privilege of relating to God as our Father. Now, Paul has also had a great deal to say about Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God who, in the fullness of time, uh, took on human flesh. He was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, and he did it by becoming a curse. But Paul also has a lot to say to us about third person of the Trinity, the, the Holy Spirit, the, the representative agent of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember that Jesus himself told his disciples that when he was going away, he was going to send another comforter, speaking of the Holy Spirit who would, who would come and, and take everything that the Lord Jesus Christ had accomplished and apply it and make it a reality in the lives of God's children. And here in this passage, you see, well, we see what the Holy Spirit, what God the Holy Spirit desires, yearns for even, in the lives of believers. You ever ask yourself that question? What is it that God the Holy Spirit wants for me? Uh, some, sometimes people today, and well, people throughout history, thought that the Holy Spirit comes to basically give us some kind of extraordinary experience or comes to equip us with some sort of extraordinary gift. Well, take a look at what Paul says here. Paul says what God the Holy Spirit wants for you, believer in Jesus Christ, is for you to be like Jesus. 
What, what God the Holy Spirit longs for is for the fruit of the Spirit to be manifested in your life. That's what God wants for you. Remember what Paul says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. And so I want us to see at the start uh, this morning that this passage, it's all about our sanctification, our, our growth in grace, our conformity to Christ, our forsaking sin and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about how God changes us. And remember that uh, in, in Galatians, the, there were false teachers, the Judaizers, who, who they were, were, in a sense, calling for, for change. They wanted Gentile believers to, to change their lives by keeping a set of rules and rituals and, and regulations. What they were calling for, demanding, in essence, was change by behavior modification. Change by outward conformity. That's what the Judaizers were calling for in the church of Galatia. But we see here in this passage throughout Galatians that the gospel, it presents an entirely different model for how people change. So it's a, it's a passage about sanctification, about uh, Christian holiness. And there are three aspects that I want us to see here today. Uh, here's the first thing. Our sanctification is rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Our, our holiness is grounded in a relationship with Jesus Christ. A a changed life, according to the Christian faith, does not begin with changed behavior. It begins with a new relationship. Knowing then who we are and, and whose we are is absolutely vital, absolutely key for understanding how people changed by the gospel. And everything Paul says here about sanctification, I think, is grounded in that wonderful little phrase in, in verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus. There it is. That's the defining reality of the Christian life. I am someone who belongs to Jesus. I am his. I am his blood-bought purchase. That's what it means to be a Christian. You know, we sometimes uh, speak about the most intimate of human relationships in, in that way, don't we? About marriage. Now, I, I would say that I am Kelsey's and she is mine. The Bible itself speaks that way in the Song of Songs about marital union. I am my beloved and he is mine, she says. It's, a, it's, it's, it's alluding to a, a relationship, and it's, and it's a relationship of, of, of trust and, and, and mutual delight and belonging and, and love. And it is a defining relationship. And you see what Paul is saying? Paul is saying that as Christians, we belong to Jesus. Now, maybe that doesn't sound very profound to you. But really, what, what I hope that we'll see today is this really is, this really is a life changer. It's a reality that shapes and defines the Christian life, that we are not our own, but belong in body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who we are as Christians. 
You know, the longer I'm, I'm in ministry and, you know, I'm still a newbie. But I am convinced of this more and more that many issues in, in counseling really boil down to Christians not really coming to terms with who they are and whose they are. Not, not really realizing that they are not their own but belong to their Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I say again, knowing who we are and whose we are is absolutely fundamental for thinking about Christian sanctification. We belong to Jesus. I belong to him. That's who I am. Now let's, let's just try to go a little bit further with this and, and unpack the reality that is behind those, those lovely words belonging to Christ Jesus. What, what, what does that phrase, what does that phrase entail? It, it entails, first of all, that I have died with Christ and I've been raised with Christ. Do you remember the, the, that passage in, in Romans chapter 6 where Paul is describing fundamentally the identity of a Christian and a Christian is someone who has died with Jesus Christ and been buried with Jesus Christ and has been raised with Jesus Christ to walk in newness of life. It's, a, it's an implication of our union with Christ. That that old man, that old self in, in relationship to Adam has been put to death. Has been nailed to the cross with Christ. And the new self, the new creations raised, raised to walk in newness of life. You know, Paul puts it, I think, autobiographically back in chapter 2. You remember what he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified and I now live by the power of Christ in me. That is my relationship to Jesus now. And I think as we look at Galatians chapter 5 in this verse 24, Paul is describing one of the implications of that reality here. Because where before, back in chapter 2, Paul spoke of our being crucified, passive, we were acted upon. He now speaks of our being active. We have crucified. We're the actors. We're the ones who do this work. See, this, this is something the Christian has done. And again, it's important to see it's a once for all past action that Paul is speaking about here. By the power of Christ's resurrection life in us, we put our sinful flesh to death. When Paul uses that word flesh, don't, don't think that he's just merely talking here about you know, our, our, our physical bodies. He, he means more than that. He's talking about the life that we live in its totality, body and, and, and mind and everything uh, still marred and corrupted and influenced by sin. He, he's talking about this body that Paul calls the body of death, this fallen human flesh still corrupted by sin. Let me try to illustrate this, what I think Paul is teaching us in this passage. Think of it this way, that, that we as Christians, we are all like recovering addicts. We are all like recovering addicts. We were addicted to 
the flesh, well, the, 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 the desires and the passions of the flesh, but, but God in Christ delivered us from it. He, he saved us from that addiction. And we have made, therefore, because of God's activity, we have made the decision to reject that former life, to put it away and to be done with it once and for all. That was a once for all action that took place when God brought us into saving union and communion with Jesus Christ. But you see, follow the analogy, that doesn't mean that there won't be times of withdrawal symptoms. That there, there, won't, be, there won't be urges to indulge the flesh. There won't be relapses at times. Even, even though the definitive break has already occurred, there's still going to be this, this ongoing Struggle, and we need to keep living out of who we are and whose we are, refusing, refusing the flesh and keeping in step with the spirit. But but it's important. I don't. This is. I don't want to be too technical, but I think it's. I think it's really important to realize that what Paul is saying in verse twenty four. It's not a command. Do you recognize that? It's, Paul is not giving you a command here. He's not telling Christians. To crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Now certainly that's a biblical way of speaking. And Paul will do that elsewhere in the New Testament. But right here in this chapter, Paul is not giving you a command. He is stating a fact. He's talking about a present reality of all of those who belong to Jesus Christ. If you belong to Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, you have crucified the flesh with its desires and passions. In Christ, he's saying, this is now your relationship to sin. You died to it. You now live to God. And because you have died with Christ and been raised to new life, you have crucified the flesh. And when it tries to rise up afresh and new in your life, you, you put it to the sword. You put it back on the cross. I think a story from Martin Luther's life uh, is, a, is a good illustration of this. Some of you, I'm sure, have heard this tale. The tale goes that Satan came knocking on Martin Luther's door and, and, and knocked and said, is Martin Luther in there? And, you know, Martin Luther's flamboyant personality, he picked up the inkwell and chucked it at the door <laughs> and said, no, Martin Luther doesn't live here anymore. A man in Christ lives here now. That old man is gone. That old man is dead. And I have crucified the flesh. But I know some of, some of you are probably thinking, but, but, but pastor, I, I, have, I have desires and passions. Yes, yes you do. And we'll, we'll talk about that as we continue on in Galatians 5. But what you need, you, need to, you need to stop for a moment and you need to get this as a Christian. Because Paul, he wants to... He wants to revolutionize your self-understanding. He, he wants you to think about yourself in terms of gospel realities. You belong to Jesus. That means you've died to sin and you are now a new creation in Christ. And that then therefore means the old self is dead. You've been raised to new life. The, the desires of the flesh, the passions of the flesh have been crucified. Paul wants us to understand that that's a reality for all of those who belong to Christ. Now, of course, all, all relationships 
They need to be, they need to be cultivated, don't they? I mean, we, we know that in, in our lives. Our, our relationships with our children need to be cultivated. Our relationship with our spouse needs to be cultivated, or otherwise it, it might grow cold. And why should our relationship with our Lord Jesus be, be any different than that? It's, it's something that needs to be cultivated on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. I mean, we, we, we need to train ourselves, I think, to wake up in, in the mornings and, and one of our first thoughts be, I belong to Jesus. That's who I am. I don't belong to this world. I, I, I don't belong to the things of this world. I belong to Christ. And, and that's what defines our lives as Christians. And so this is the foundation of our sanctification. I, I belong to Jesus. Maybe it sounds simple, but Paul is stating, I think, a deeply profound truth. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, that our experience of sanctification involves conflict. Here's another, I think, key principle for understanding sanctification. It's this, our experience of progress in the Christian life, of growth in the Christian life, involves conflict. And my friends, that doesn't mean that there is malfunction in your spiritual life. That doesn't mean that there's something inherently wrong with your Christian walk. Um, I think a lot of people, again, thinking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, think that the Holy Spirit comes, and, and in this life comes to, in some way, deliver us out of, and perhaps raise us above any kind of struggle with sin. Right? That somehow we can reach some sort of state of perfection here in this life. Here's what I want you to see. That conflict in the Christian life results because of the Holy Spirit. Conflict in the Christian life is the result of the Holy Spirit dwelling in the hearts and lives of Christian believers. We need to grasp that, that it is the result of being in Christ and dwelled by the Spirit of Christ and yet living in this fallen world, in this body that is yet to be fully redeemed. It is the very presence of the Spirit of Christ that initiates this conflict in our lives. So understand this, dear friends, that the normal Christian life, where we are called to, to daily walk in step with the Spirit, and, and that, that, will, that will mean, inevitably, that will mean ongoing conflict with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And dear friends, that is the ordinary way that God is making you more like Jesus Christ. Look again then, back, back, let me go back to the text here. Go back to verse 16 and read on there with me where he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Then he explains the conflict in, in verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, there are two 
basic truths that I want you to notice in this passage as we take a brief look at it. The first is what we've just been saying, that the Christian life, the life of sanctification, is a life of conflict. The desires of the flesh are against the desires of the Spirit, and therefore the Christian life is a life of all-out war. And it is the war of a lifetime. That's the normal Christian life, dear friends. Uh, He says the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the Spirit. They're in conflict. They're in opposition. They're at odds with each other. They have different desires, different goals. And that's the first thing that I want us to see. And, you know, if if you're a Christian, uh, you, you know something about this daily struggle, don't you? You know something about this war. Uh, at times, there, there arises with, within us uh, thoughts and desires and passions. And we think to ourselves, where, where on earth did that come from? And then sometimes we act upon those desires and passions that are at odds with the desire of the Spirit, even as Christians. And you think, you know, you think and you say and you do the very things that you despise, the very things that you hate. And sometimes we're left wondering, how, how on earth did I get there? How on earth did that happen? It's because, my friends, the war is on. And sin wants to have you. It wants to consume you. But you know, I think for some of you, this battle, it, it, it gets you down. Maybe some of you are coming here today fresh off the battlefield and, and you've lost the skirmish and you've come limping into church today. Bruised and battered by this fight. You gratified the flesh instead of keeping in step with the spirit and, and, you're, and you're discouraged. Well, here's the second thing I want you to see. There's something I want you to focus on, and it's what Paul says at the end of verse 17. Would you take a look at that verse again with me? For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Here's the thing I want you to focus on. Things you want to to do. There are things that you want to do. Yes, there is a battle. Yes, there is a conflict. And yes, you are, you are fully conscious of failure. But then there are these deep-seated, heartfelt desires welling up within you. This is the thing that I want. I want to be like Jesus Christ, I want to be free from sin. I want to see the the fruit of the Spirit manifested and blossom and grow in my life. That's the thing that I want. My friends, focus on that. Because where, where, where did that desire come from? It didn't come from the flesh. It didn't come from the devil. It didn't come from the world. It didn't didn't come from you off by yourself. It came from the Holy Spirit. 
And it is the Holy Spirit testifying with your spirit that you are a child of God. And if a child, then an heir with Jesus Christ. The things you, you, uh, you want most in the, the deepest recesses of your heart are to be like Jesus. That's the thing that you want if you belong to him. So I ask, I ask you today, right, right now, right now, where you, what is the thing that you want most? And if you honestly evaluate the, the desires of, of your heart, I think, I know it's, it's tragic to say, but some, some of you here today, you, you want, um, well, you want an easy, comfortable, pleasure-filled life. You, you want a life that consists of gratifying the desires of the flesh. You think, you think that's the, the real life. That that's the happy life. That that's the way life ought to be lived. I repeat the words of Paul here. What does he say? I warn you as I warned you before that anyone who lives like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what Paul says here, loud and, loud and clear. But others here, what, what, is, what is it that you desire most? Take hope, yes, in the midst of the battle, yes, in the midst of the conflict, and, and yes, conscious of failure. Your deep-seated desire is to walk by the Spirit and become more and more to reflect more and more the, the, the beautiful image of our Savior Jesus Christ. To be, to be released from sin. And, and, and dear ones, what, what I want you to do today is to lift up your head for a moment from the battlefield and to reflect upon that thing that you desire most because it is the Holy Spirit's testimony that you belong to Jesus. And that he will, he will. Never let you go. The good news is that the Holy Spirit never fails to bring to completion a work that he has begun. Oh, third thing here in this passage. Our, our sanctification is you know, rooted in a relationship with Jesus. Our sanctification is characterized by conflict. And then thirdly, our sanctification involves both negativity and positivity. If I can put it that way. Our sanctification involves both denial and affirmation. There are the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. And belonging to Jesus equips and engages us to refuse the flesh with its passions and to walk in step with the spirit. And therefore that requires us to daily deny the flesh with its desires and to, to live happily under the lordship of the Holy Spirit. Just again, 38,000 feet today, Paul mentions this list of the desires of the flesh, three of them having to do with sex. Sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. I mean, can the Bible be any more relevant, dear friends? Because what is it that troubles so many people, and yes, so many Christians today, but in this very area of sexual immorality? Then two words dealing with religion, uh, idolatry and sorcery, worship, um, uh, worshiping that which is not God and seeking to, to harness spiritual forces to do one's own will. 
Then notice the emphasis here. There are eight words about destroying relationships. And one of the ways that the, the, the passions and the desires of the flesh are chiefly manifested is in our relationships with one another. He mentions enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. And then two words about substance abuse, drunkenness, and orgies. And I think here orgies here related to drunkenness and substance abuse. And again, notice Paul's sobering word. If this is your uncontrolled lifestyle. He's not saying, are you familiar with this in the battle you have with the desires of the flesh. But here's what he's saying. If you're not involved in this warfare at all, and these are the things that totally rule you, that totally control your life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul, is, Paul is clear and plain about it. He, he believes there are people who will be in heaven and people who will be in hell. And and if there is no testimony of the Spirit at work in your life, if the fruit of the Spirit is nowhere to be found in your life, and instead it's, it's ruled by the desires of the flesh, then Paul is saying you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. My friends, that is a pitiable place to be. And if that's where you find yourself today, call out to God for mercy. But then Paul, Paul speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. And we'll come to that in the weeks to come. But I want us to see something here that I think is really important to the overall message of this book. He says it in verse 23 as he's, as he's outlining the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, at the end of the verse, he, he says, Against such things there is no law. I think we need to understand that statement within the context of the book of Galatians. Paul has been, has been laboring for a while now to show the Galatians that we are not justified by works of the law. That we are not accepted and counted righteous in God's sight by obedience to the law of God. But now in this section of Galatians, I think he's trying to help us also understand that the law cannot sanctify you either. And and if you turn this list of the fruit of the Spirit into a law that says, okay, if I just manifest these fruits in my life and I show love, joy, peace, and so on, and God will accept me and I'll continue in my justification. And Paul is saying, if that's the route you go, what you've done is you've just created another form of legalism, the very thing that Paul has been denouncing throughout this entire letter. So the question we need to ask ask ourselves and keep in mind as we go on to talk practically about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is to always keep the answer to this question in mind. Where does this fruit come from? It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's it's something that God produces in the lives of those who belong to Jesus. Yes, yes, of course. As we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as we exert every effort in the Christian life, as we sweat and strive and run the race. But as we do that, it is the fruit of the Spirit. 
It is ultimately of, of God. So you understand sanctification is not let go and let God. It's never that. It involves effort and striving and exertion on our part. But where does the fruit ultimately come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. You see, this is a very subtle thing, but we need to make sure we, we, we do not think in this way. You know, in terms of justification, God pardoning me and accepting me, counting me righteous in Christ. Okay, that's all by grace through faith. But now that I've become a Christian, and now that I'm beginning uh, this life of, of sanctification, it's now by my own efforts, by my own works, by keeping the law. God leads me to my, to my own resources, to my own energies, and it's up to me now to maintain my justified status. That's a, that's a wrong way of thinking about God's grace and how it's worked out in our lives, and it's utterly contrary to what Paul is saying here. See, my friends, one day, one day when we finish our journey here on earth and we see our Savior face to face, we, we will say, not by my works, not by the works of my hands, not by my efforts, not by the things that I have done, not by my obedience or my striving. It was all of grace from beginning to end. And sanctification is as much a grace given to us in Christ as our justification. It was all of him. And so praise God that he, that he took hold of my life and brought me into union and fellowship with Jesus Christ and sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in my life and enabled me to walk in step with Him, led by the Spirit to walk along the, the railway tracks of God's law as we make our way to the heavenly Jerusalem. My friends, that is the Christian life in union with Jesus. Well, we're going we're gonna to look at this list of the fruit in, in the weeks to come, but let's just end by asking this question. In essence, in essence, what, what is the fruit of the Spirit? What is the fruit of the Spirit? I think one perspective that we always need to keep in view is the fruit of the Spirit is a description of the character of Jesus. The one who possessed the Spirit in abundance, overflowed with the fruit of the Spirit in his life. Therefore, what is sanctification? It is being conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. And this passage is telling us that it is the desire of God, the Holy Spirit, to bring that about in your life, believer in Jesus. And if you belong to Jesus, that's your desire too, isn't it? Despite the conflict and despite the daily battles with sin and the battles that we lose, there continually rises up deep from within us this desire, yes, yes, I want to be like my Savior. I want to be like Christ. And so as we are led by the Spirit, we commit ourselves daily to walking in step with Him. Can we do that afresh today, dear friends? Committing, devoting ourselves to following the dictates of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that through faith we, we belong to Jesus. 
And in belonging to Jesus, you have, you have given us grace that we need for life and salvation. And we ask you now that in your grace, you would enable us to remember and to live in light of who we are and whose we are. Equip us for the daily conflict and struggle against sin and use that conflict to cut away the sin that remains that we might more fully reflect the beauty of our Savior Jesus Christ. Father, would you keep us walking then in step with the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. All for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.